Hello and welcome back to the RevOps Show. Today we have a very exciting episode. Not only are Jess and Doug focusing on sales structures and how they connect with RevOps and why they're so important, there's also a chance for you to win Imagine Swag. Yes, you heard me right. Doug lays out all of the details about how to win one of our very own, very nice, and very comfortable vests at the beginning of the episode. Make sure you check out the video to see what it looks like if you're interested, and then also check out the actual website show notes for instructions on how to win if you don't catch them the first time around. So with that, I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Let's get into it. Jess. Doug. Something must be wrong. We're recording this at the actual scheduled time. We are. We are. Weird. <laughs> what what's happening with that? Wow. That was aggressive. Um, I don't know. Maybe we're finally getting our act together. So Jess, you know what tonight is, don't you? What's tonight? Game five, first round playoffs, Stanley Cup. Oh. I'm wearing my yeah. I'm wearing my hat. Caps, you, caps are tied with the Florida Panthers, 2-2, two, two, two games apiece. I was going to ask you if the Caps were even in because that I I follow exactly zero hockey. And and so. I know and I and, and and I know why that is. I'm going to actually because by the way, I'm wearing this wonderful um, <clears throat> vest or right swag. Here. I'm I'm going to bring this full circle because it's actually a little bit too warm for this. I'm going to be taking this off in just a minute, but um, don't worry, just that's all I'm taking off. Thank God. <laughs> so. Quick question for you. What's the last playoff series the Washington Capitals won? What year? 2018. Yes. <laughs> the last playoff series they won, they won the Stanley Cup. That is really hard to read. I just want you to know that pattern on that hat. <laughs> yep. yep. I understand. I understand. But you were able to do it. Right. And and so I realized that, you know, we couldn't I was thinking about Stanley Cup playoffs. And then I thought about our episode where we talked about the starting lineup for the Cincinnati Reds and you were able to carry that conversation. And I knew you wouldn't be able to carry out um, a, a hockey conversation. And Not so at all. Like, it, it occurred to me in, in, as I was preparing for this episode that, uh, you know, Cincinnati is an interesting town because it's got a major league baseball team, but nothing else. I guess it's got a football team. I go, well, I actually, they made it to the Super Bowl. So I guess they got a baseball team and a football team. Okay. Right. They have <laughs> yeah. no basketball team. They do not have a basketball team now. I mean, I realize the Kentucky players get paid, but. Wow. Uh-huh. Shots they're fired. They're well, that's not a, that's not a professional basketball team, but. Well, they get paid. Like and that's team. not technically in Cincinnati. I mean, it's over the river. I understand. It's, it's, I understand. I just it's had to take a flight to Kentucky. Yeah, um, always. They have, they, they, have, they have no NBA, no NHL team. Correct. Right. So here's the full circle. We're going to find out if anyone's listening and if anyone knows anything about sports. Right. So this nice vest, strategic RevOps Advantage vest, $85 retail value. Anybody that can send us, send me, get to me a list of, I'm going to make it easy. I was thinking about all, but I'm going to go with 10 cities, 10 cities that have one or two of the prime for a, a team in, you know, one or two teams in one of the prime four leagues. So you've got NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB. 
those are typically considered, you know, the prime. I've lived in, and I've lived in, I've lived in like three cities that have had that. <laughs> now, if we get multiple entries, then we're going to get the tiebreaker will be identify five cities that only have one. Oh, wow. Right. So Seattle used to be one. Well, actually, no, you have the Seahawks. So anyways, it's, it's actually harder. Than I live, I live, I live in one of the, I live in one of those cities now. So I will give you. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> And I'll give so so you know what we're gonna give you two to get started. You got San Antonio, you do, yep, and Baltimore. Oh yeah, Baltimore. Think about that, right? So free vest. We'll even pay the shipping because we're we'll just know that, that nice. you're a that you're a RevOps pro. Your sports knowledge is gonna dictate if you're a RevOps pro. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is I mean, technically this isn't sports knowledge. This is geographic knowledge. Boy, man, my hair is short. Holy it is now. Sports combined with geographic knowledge. Holy moly! Did I is am I is my hair cut too short? Did I go? Too It'll long? be you'll be fine in a week. You fine. know the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is, don't you? About three weeks. But I'm bum. <laughs> All right, Doug. <clears throat> you you. So, so, sorry, Jess. I can't hear. Thank you. We're off to we're off to a productive start. This is this is shaping up like a Friday episode. Um, and we're, we're okay, go on. Sorry. We're good. I'm good. Doug's trying to trigger me, everyone. Um, all right. So you, you had a topic that you wanted to talk about today. Doug. We're going to go North today. Are we going to, we're going to go North. We're going to go North. Okay. As opposed to South. As opposed to South <laughs> or East or West. We're going North. We're going up. We're, 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 we're going to hit one of the elements that is the, that in many ways is at the peak of, of what is strategic rev ops. Hence another reason why I was wearing the strategic rev ops advantage swag today. One of the things that I see happening, you know, like, you know, we, we, we talked about, by the way, our mistakes episode, there are definitely people listening. I don't know if any of them know which cities only have a limited number of major sports teams, but the response and some of the comments that I've gotten on our, you know, don't be, you know, the, the danger of RevOps becoming the Department of Sales Prevention. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely resonated with, with, with a lot of people. And, and you know, it's, we, we, we've had episodes in the past where we talk about, you know, where should RevOps report? You know, that, that if we're talking about RevOps, if RevOps is going to play a strategic role, then it needs to be peer. Yeah. Right. And, and be, because you need to have the, 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 the diversity, diversity, the diversity of viewpoint, the diversity of mindset. And so inherently RevOps is a, is a process centered space, right? So, so it, and, and as much as I emphasize that, that process is far more, um, is far broader and deeper than most people think about, we tend to think of process as a very linear and, and very limited boy, I'm going to jump down a rabbit hole. You know, there, there, there's a restrictive element to process, but then there's, you know, when you restrict things, you actually also free things. So when you restrict effectively, you actually free agency, you free flexibility, you free, um, you know, the, the, those elements, but it's easy to fall into a very process driven trap. And, and Jess, you can, you'll probably empathize greatly, maybe have a little bit of a flashback. <clears throat> it's easy to fall into the 
That's the right way to do it. Yeah. Why? Well, because that's how you do it. Yep. Um, it's also easy. It's really easy to end up playing somebody else's game because, you know, the whole, you know, RevOps is a continuous improvement initiative and you can't continuously improve without learning and and you've got to expose yourself to other places and what are other people doing and you know let's not reinvent the wheel on all those things you know I, m- I remember when i was at merrill lynch you know they used to have people come along and they you know they would share their story and you know everybody loves peer stories we want to hear from somebody that's done it yeah you know and they're, they're you know they're motivating stories and i remember one week we had it, typically we didn't have this many but one week we had four different people come in who were all million dollar plus producers, all super, super six. Most of them were multi-million dollar plus producers. Very, very successful. They all came in with their story. That was some variation of, if you want to be a rock star in this business, this is what you do. Yep. And at the end of that week, I actually went to uh, my sales manager. I went to our district manager and I said, you know, not for nothing, but I took copious notes in all four of these sessions and all four people totally disagreed because, you know, so-and-so came in and said, this is what you have to do. Then, you know, forget right. the second person came in and said, it's all about corporate. Right. Oh, and I'll never forget what, what the response was. The response was Doug, what you have to do is take the best from each one of them. Sounds like yeah. it makes sense, doesn't it? Yep. Do you know what yeah. you get when you take the best from each one of them? You get Frankenstein. Yep. It sounds good, but wait, they don't, Right. And, and, you know, so, so there, there's a whole bunch of elements that come into this. So, so what I want to talk about today is I'm going to get into the concept of sales structure. Um, and, and if you look at the revenue acceleration framework, this is the first, this is, this is the guiding element. We talk about, you know, solve upstream problems upstream. Don't solve upstream problems downstream. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more upstream than what's your go-to-market approach, what's your go-to-market. Right. right? And, and a key element of go-to-market is what's your sales structure, what's your sales approach? <clears throat> when you look at the go-to-market phase of, of the framework, mm-hmm. the first thing I want to emphasize is this is not a revenue operations specific element. This is not a sales or marketing specific element. Go-to-market is organizational. That is part of the organizational strategy. It's the element in the guiding policy that comes down to your market-facing elements. You know, so, so, you know, finance, backend operations, I, you know, all of your disciplines, if you take our business acumen course, all five core disciplines of a business need to be a part of that. Just like go to market needs to be a part of the organization, operational strategy, HR strategy, et cetera. Um, and, and, and so if you look at what that go to market does, it, it, it really is that, you know, that's where you define the game you're going to play. One of my favorite books on strategy um, is a book called um, Playing to Win mm-hmm. it's written by A.G. Laffley and Roger Martin. And, you know, part of it is, you know, you know, what field are we going to play and where are we going to play? How are we going to win? Um, and I don't know if you know this. I may have shared this with you. Um, you, you, know, you know, I've always been a fan of frameworks. I've always been a fan of having some element of process and being able to articulate that process. When I started Imagine back in 2004, can you believe that? No. 18 years old. We've been, I've been doing this for 18 years. We're, we're, we're old enough to get drafted. We're old enough, we are. And, and if we're in Mexico, we're old enough to drink. If the company were in Mexico, it could drink. 
the first step of, of the process that I created was called define your game. And, and I don't think that you can really, I don't think that you can scale effectively mm -hmm. without being clear on what's the game that you're playing. What's the game that you're going to play. Um, Cause if you're not defining your game, then you're playing somebody else's game or you're playing kind of no game. So it's your game, somebody else's game, or no game. Those are kind of like the three games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you go back a long, long, long time ago, one of my favorite quotes, gosh, I don't even think it's in the top five anymore, but it used to be my favorite quote. Um, is there something wrong with me that I actually keep track of? Like I have an order to my... There's something, there's something wrong with you. I don't know if that's what it is, but um, definitely. You cannot control the wind but you can adjust the set of your sale. Yeah. Right. And I, I've, I've always remembered that. And if you, if you haven't defined your game, if you're not clear on what is your game, then I don't think you can set your sales. Right. Yeah. You're, you know, it's the Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Where are you going? I don't know. Oh, any road will get you there. <laughs> right. Um, and, and by the way, you know, if you think about it, we're, we're so overloaded with information. We're so overloaded with, with, with seeing what everyone else is doing. You know, it, it, it's, it's the old, you know, every time I go over to my friend's house, when they invite us over for dinner, their house is always clean. There must be something wrong with us because their house is always clean. And, and you know, th this isn't new. You, you see this with social media. You know, everyone's, everyone's telling, you know, at, at best they're telling, they're only telling you about their successes. And, and by the way, when they're telling you about their successes, more often than not, they're, it, exaggerating significantly to just completely lying. Right. But you don't know that it all sounds really good. And so you get into FOMO and you get depressed and you start jumping from thing to thing to thing and, and you actually lose your identity. And when you lose your identity, you, you have nothing to compare to, but you know, the, the unattainable and, and I yep. see that happening in businesses all the time. And I think that's what's driving all kinds of exhaustion. I think that's leading to, you know, what it's been dubbed the great resignation, et cetera. So a major element for revenue operations. And, and, and I actually think revenue operations is, is the guardian of the game. Yep. Right. Cause, cause I think that, that your sales disciplines, especially, I mean, you show me a sales organization that's not being pulled to the opportunistic zone. I'll show you a sales organization that is not anywhere near capturing its reasonable potential. And, and I think the same thing is true in marketing. And I think the same thing is true in success. Like that, it's, it's kind of like, that's the course that you're on. You're going to naturally cheat because you're pulled into, you know, very specific lanes, if you will. And so you're going to become naturally opportunistic. And before you know it, you were clear on the game that you were playing, but now you're not clear. And so a major element of the revenue operations team is they're the guardians of the game. I like that actually. The guardians of the game. Yep. Cleveland like guardians too. of the game. Cleveland guardians. Now Cleveland does not qualify for the contest because Cleveland has the Cavaliers, the Browns, and the Guardians. <laughs> they don't have an NHL team, so that's three of the four. But anyways, um, and by the way, for those of you that don't know, the Cleveland Indians are now the Cleveland Guardians. So. And, and, and so a, a major element, as a matter of fact, the, what we've defined as go-to-market, there's four key areas of go-to-market. 
there's the economic model. There's um, the market, you know, defining your market, ideal client profile, personas. There's your messaging, your story. And then there's, there's your sales model. And what we're going to talk about today is the sales model. All right. So tell me about sales model. What, what is that? So, so your sales model is what is um, in, 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 in your business model. And if, if anyone's um, if, if anyone's curious about really digging into what I'm talking about here with business model, um, I think the book is called business model generation, but if you look up business model canvas, there's, there's a lot, and I'm, um, I'm going blank. Alex Osterwalder, I think is his name, is, is, is the creator of that, which really gets into, you know, your business model is what are the mechanics of how does your company generate, you know, create value for a core group of people in a manner that makes money. Your, your, your sales model gets into the specifics of, you know, the machine, if you will. What is the machine that is um, transforming interest and engagement into revenue. And so your sales model could involve salespeople or it may not involve salespeople, right? I mean, if you're, if you're e-commerce direct to consumer type, mm -hmm. your sales model is self-serve. It's an unassisted sale, right? Yeah. It's still a sales model. You still have a sales process. You just don't have salespeople, right? And, and, and so there's kind of, and I'm oversimplifying for, for, um, well, I shouldn't say I'm oversimplifying. I'm simplifying for purposes of trying to create some level of understanding. So you, you, you basically have three levels. It's self-serve slash unassisted. Mm -hmm. um, rep assisted, which means it's still very marketing driven. It's still, it still needs to be something where the, the customer is, is driving the entire process. And, and a person assists in there. That could be service orientation. It could be questions need to be answered. It could be sometimes the, a salesperson gets involved in the end, um, but but the salesperson is not driving that. Um, and then the third option or the third model is it's rep directed. The rep is at the center of, and this is not discount the importance. You know, the customer is still in control, um, but there is a rep that's there. And 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 we when we think of salespeople, when we think of sales process, mm -hmm. the default is to think of the rep directed. And I should say, you know, especially in today's world, in a digital transformation world, you know, there there is a distinct and important difference between rep, rep directed and rep assisted. I should also add that these three models do not operate; they're they're not mutually exclusive. There might be an aspect of your business that's one, you know, that's one model. Another aspect that's a different model. Um, you know, Amazon is self serve unassisted when you're buying from Amazon store, but if you're buying from AWS, it's rep directed. Although there's an element that's self-serve, like I could set up, we we've done self, right. So it, it, it yeah. plays all of those. Um, if you sell office supplies to companies, you are probably rep directed to win the contract and rep assisted to self-serve for the ongoing transaction. So again, they all, you know, they, they, they can meld together and you can, you know, you need, you need to design that to fit what your business need is. Now, when you look at it, the, the underlying economic economics of those three games, those three models are very, very different. The, the flexibility are very, very different. So one of the mistakes that I see happening all the time is people are 
polishing the rails and organizing the deck chairs mm-hmm. of their Titanic. What does that mean? They're optimizing. They're doing the wrong things better and better. They're really, really good at doing the not right things. Right. So how do you know what the right things are? Well, there's some elements of, let me back up. Okay. It's not just, are you doing the right things? Are you doing the right viable and sustainable things? Okay. So sometimes the right things are not viable or sustainable. I'm sorry. I hate to tell everybody that sometimes the right things aren't viable. Right. And I see this frequently with, with new ideas, new companies, um, somebody's got a great idea. Um, it's a big, 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 big market. Um, but it's a new idea. It's, you know, they're selling something. It's $3,000. It's $250. What, you know, it's a, you know, so, so, you know, by the way, their economic model, the game that they're playing here is, um, you know, making a little bit of money off of a whole lot of people. Right. Yep. And they have a rep directed sales model. Well, the problem with that is economically, that's not going to work. Now it might be okay early, early, mm-hmm. right? Cause sometimes what you're doing, you know, like if, if you're, if you're looking to scale your business, like, you know, fully what you're going to do early on is not always scalable. Right. So, so, so here's an example of, 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 you know, two things I come in and I, um, I have a, a rep directed model and it's not sustainable. Right. But that's what my model is. And, and, and there is no path to making it self-serve to significantly more self-serve. Yep. There, there's, a, there's another place where I'll see companies that, that are in that same place. So they'll take the very soft rep assisted. So again, if it's, if it's soft assisted, a rep can handle far more, you know, they have a far broader coverage area, if you will. So they can, assist on much more revenue, generate more gross profit to cover what that cost is. But sometimes you come out with something new and I've seen, you know, a lot of people, I, you know, product-led growth is doing this. Product-led growth tends to be a model to, to turn um, your sales model into self-serve or rep-assisted rather than rep-directed. Because by the way, if it is rep-directed, it's sales-led sales, not product-led sales. And I've, I've seen some examples, b- both as a customer, but also from an advisory standpoint where I've come across a product and I'm really interested. I'm really intrigued with it, but I don't understand it. And, and I don't want to, I mean, I understand a little bit of it, but I don't understand it enough to like how, where does this work? What, what, you know, how would this be to, et, et, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, and I, for whatever reason, I either can't justify it or it, hasn't hit me enough that, that I, so I'm not willing to spend the time to understand it. Well, they're trying to follow a model that is going to scale, right? So it's unassisted, no salesperson yeah. involved type thing. And when you say, well, why aren't you using a salesperson here? It's well, you know, we can't afford it basically. Right. Right. Or, well, to, to do that, we'd have to raise money and we don't want to give up equity. Right. No, I get that. I, I, I don't want to give up equity either. <laughs> Right. But, but there, you, you know, again, you're playing the wrong game because 
you know, based upon the job to be done, where are you in the, you know, in, you know, in, in the life cycle of your business. So, so there's an element that says, you know, how do you know if you're doing the right thing? You know, one thing is you have to understand your economic model, right? We, we can do a session on that if we want. You have to understand the economics. And I'm sorry, the, the economic model is math. It's 90% math. Um, you know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I was going over the an example of economic model with somebody the other day. You know, this was a company that had just gotten funded. They, they were looking at hyper growth. I, I think that they were, um, I think they had 37 customers to date. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so, you know, they were going to, they were going to 5X growth over a three-year period of time. Bro broke it down into, you know, year one, they needed 36 new customers. So basically they needed to double the number of the customer base, which by the way is a lot. Yeah. And what's interesting is 36 doesn't sound like a lot. We only need 36 customers, right? Yeah. That's not a lot. You need 36 wins. Okay. What sounded, what, what made it a little bit more than that is if you took a look at the um, average uh, sale price and you took a look at the margin, that represented roughly a million dollars of gross profit. So, okay, you're getting 36. Well, no, you're not winning 36 customers. You're winning a million dollars of gross profit. But you know what? I mean, they just raised $4 million. Million dollars in new revenue. That's not that much. There are right. startups that raise a million, you know, that, that do a million dollars in sales all the time. And I'm yeah. not saying that they don't, but they really weren't acquiring a million dollars new of, of gross profit because their model was built on the fact that, well, they had actually, you know, they, they, they had talked about a 5% churn, which, by the way, a 5% churn would equate to a 20 year lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone that is saying that, their customers are going to stay with them for an average of 20 years. You might be being a little bit aggressive in your, in your economic model. Okay. And you, as a side note that takes us off of, um, off of sales model and sales structure. Mm -hmm. I love how we generate new terms to hide certain things. There's this new term called net revenue retention, which I am not suggesting net revenue retention doesn't matter. And what I typically see for net revenue retention in funded SaaS companies, and I'm beginning to see it in other companies, our net revenue retention is 110 to 120%. So that's a negative churn. That is, our customers generate more revenue the next year versus the previous year. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that number doesn't matter. There's a land expand element that demonstrates that, that demonstrates expand, that demonstrates a lot of things. But if you're not also looking at the underlying, what is your customer churn rate? And I want to emphasize, you cannot have a negative customer churn rate, right? You can't have a negative customer churn rate. If you're not watching that, then you can have the growth phase of relationships hide underlying weaknesses in, in your in, in your fundamentals, which again goes into, you know, a part of your sales model. We're talking about salespeople, new acquisition. This is also going to impact what's your service team, what's your account management team. Yeah. Right. So, so we got them down to seven years, right. Which by the way is a 15% churn. Mm -hmm. If I told you you're going to, you know, if I took your tech company, you're going to have 15% churn. You'd be like, Whoa. Right. So on that seven year, um, on that seven year lifetime, what they were really looking to do was to acquire an, a revenue producing asset in the next year worth $7 million, right? Those 36 customers were going to generate a million dollars of revenue on average for an average of seven years. That's $7 million. Well, well now you're looking to acquire seven, a $7 million asset. All of a sudden that doesn't sound so small. Right. 
Because by the way, I bet you there are a lot of other people interested in that $7 million. Sure. Right. It's a competitor. Right. And, and so you have to look at that and you have to begin to assess, you know, I, I think that of, of the 4 million they had raised, they had allocated about a million dollars for customer acquisition. And it was like, well, guess what? And by, remember that was year one They to, to, to five X their growth. They were going to need to, you know, basically double the number of new customers the next year, and then 50% growth the next year. Um, and all of a sudden the economics became pretty clear that wasn't going to fly. Right. And my favorite question, I asked them, when do you plan to raise series B? Their, their first answer was, well, you know, our expectation is we're not going to have to raise series B mm -hmm. to which I replied. That's what everyone who raises series B says after they get their series A. Um, when we finished the economic model, I remember the CEO said, Hey, you know what, Doug, I think we might be uh, looking at series B a little sooner than we had. Um, yeah. You know, th th than we had anticipated. And the point here is you can ignore your economic model. Your economic, your economic model doesn't care. Right. right. So you've got to look at that. Now I've seen other places where the economic model says, no, you, you know, you've got to figure out how to get this in, right. in, into another place. So, so the, again, the model is going to tell you a lot. And then, you know, there's a lot of trial and error. You know, what, what is that? It, it's like, how do you, how do you know you've, if you have product market fit, I can't give you the, you know, the tic-tac-toe formula but I can tell you sure. what are the signs that you'll see when you know that you have it. What are the signs you'll see? When, when, you, when you've got the right sales structure? Yeah. Um, yeah. You'll, well, that's a good question, Jess. <laughs> don't, sound, don't sound so surprised. <laughs> well, you should have warned me about that one. Um, you know, because it's interesting, especially if you're in a growth phase. Sure. Um, that, you know, there's always a leak in the roof. So, so it's not like, I mean, I know a lot of people struggle with product market fit because there was the belief that people will be, be beating a path to your door. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're going to see, you're going to see a consistency. You're going to, you're going to begin to see a consistency in, in, in pattern. Um, now a major element here is, you know, again, what's the underlying model? Are you selling, you know, 15 units? Mm -hmm. For multi-million dollars each, are you selling, you know, a million unit? Like, so, so those things are going to have, you know, the, the, the consistency pattern is within a degree of variance. There's, you're, so, so you'll have more predictability. You'll have greater see-through. I, I think one of the things that exists in most sales processes is it feels very much like it's a black box. It's opaque. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll understand where those points are. So if you look at like the deals framework, those things. Um, become clear your there there's there's a um and then there there are some very important lift indicators that begin to move in your direction your your growth rate is bigger than your capacity it shows that you're utilizing your capacity effectively okay which, gotcha. which is both efficiency and effectiveness yeah um, you're 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 gonna be able to hire easier Hiring becomes less of a. Um, oh, that's an interesting one. You know, less of a black box. Um, so, so, so I think the main thing is just greater predictability and consistency. M more, you know, right now you put, you know, in the early stages when you don't have a clear model and structure, you you, you put money into your into your sales model engine and you hope, or you throw a lot of gasoline into it and you just floor it. Yeah. 
here it's more we put gas into the engine and we we know we 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 know within a band you know within a range what are we going to get so so there is more i don't i don't want to say there's no risk but, right. but there's certainly a lot less risk there's less variance so i think you say, did you say that you hire easier is that because you know it's clearer what you're looking for because it's clearer what what that structure is and what what it should look like so then it's clearer what like who and what you're looking for as far as rep goes or so i i i think it's it's that but also the reason that you have a sales model i i think it goes into what peter drucker one of my favorite quotes from peter drucker which is build the genius into the system so so for example one of the hardest models to to solve for to hire for is is the traditional model right the traditional model is salesperson does everything full cycle sales rep they they, they find they win they serve, they keep, they expand. That, that, that's where most sales organizations start because they have to. Um, yep. it, it's really simple. It's a very hard model to, to hire for, especially in today's world. You never really know why someone is successful. You, you, you can look and you can try to quote unquote clone your top performers. But, but the danger is there, there's always something you know there, there, there's always a hidden factor and also you get limited by your you know your your lowest your your biggest constraint becomes your limiting force and, it, and it, that could either be skill set like i know a lot of people that are that are great account managers they'd be horrible at new business yeah i know people that are great at new business they suck at account management right um or i know people that are good at both but then as they get more customers, they can't generate more new business because their customers are taking, right. And, 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 sure. and so you have all these constraints that come in. And so what are we hiring for? There's, there's also by definition, because it's a, it's a more people driven element. Your there's going to be greater variance in the customer experience because who I'm working with. You see this a lot, you know, in, in, in companies that have a very strong value proposition and a very strong, strong sales structure, Customers like their sales rep. They appreciate their sales rep, but they're not addicted to their sales rep. And what I mean by that is if their sales rep, quote unquote, were to change it, it wouldn't be like when I was at Merrill Lynch, when I left, my, most of my customers left with me. Yeah. Right. Um, That's because they were addicted to you, Doug. Right. Well, and, you know, because the truth was it was a Doug value proposition more than it was a Merrill Lynch value proposition. Right. And, and, yes. and even to the level that it was a Merrill Lynch value proposition, Doug took credit for it. Right. Sure. The, you know, the customer doesn't know that. Um, and, and, and so hiring for that and sustaining that, you know, and, and in today's world, what we see is that model, you know, it, 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 it reaches a big point of, of diminishing return. So, so you think about the next structure. I call that a model. I'm sorry. Traditional was a structure. The next structure is what I call specialized. That's where you begin to introduce an account management function. Hey, these are our new business people. These are account managers. Well, well, one thing that happens is I need fewer new business people for account managers because theoretically, at least a new business person has no capacity limit. Right. Right. They win a piece of business. They turn it over to account management. So, you know, every year I fill up the next account manager. Right. Right. So that, that lifts that up. I also can hire more effectively because I now know what the roles are. Um, I can begin to bring in certain aspects of specialization. So let's say that we serve different industries and 
We're not ready to go to a full vertical strategy all the way through, but we do know that vertical is going to help that, that, that expert knowledge. So maybe right. I begin to bring in vertical knowledge at the account management level because, you know, I, you know, I can scale that. And, and so um, people are matched to their talents more. So they're more likely to stay. You're simplifying the calculus, which makes it, you know, you're opening up, you know, by, by, by clearing what you're hiring for, you're opening up the talent pool. Cause if I'm going to hire somebody to be, you know, I used to say this when I was at Merrill Lynch, you know, my brother would be an excellent financial advisor. He would never have been able to build the financial advisory business in the traditional way. I mean, he could do it now and, and he could, he, but you know, he could not have been hired as a stockbroker to then win customers though. He would have been excellent at, at, delivering on that. And so all sure. the, my brothers of the world never entered that business. And, and by the way, one of the reasons why it has a bad name is a whole bunch of people that couldn't actually do the work well, but they could sell, sell the right? work. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Sure. Um, you know, then, then, then you get to, you know, when I, when I, Merrill Lynch was a matrixed organization, right? So, so you had horizontal responsibilities. I was in essence, the generalist. Mm-hmm. But Merrill Lynch also had, they had investment management, they had right. um, insurance, they had corporate banking, they had mortgages. And so there was a vertical element. And so you had a sales organization that that had, you might call it subject matter expertise, product knowledge. Yep. Right. And 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 so what I see happening is that, you know, companies are are oftentimes looking for that the lowest common denominator, the average path. What, 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 what's the path that, that best serves all of these different functions? And the moment you start saying, what's the path that best serves all of these, what you're really saying is what's the path that's the least shitty for all of these. And, and what, it, what it is, it's, it's shitty for all of them, right? And it's super shitty for some of them, but from an all, you know, from, from a full breadth standpoint, it's the, less overall shitty, you know, sure. it's only right. And, you know, we've talked before and, and going to revenue operations is the guardian of the game. What they also are is they're the managers. They are the synthesizers of complexity. Yep. Right. Complexity is the toxin for growth existing. The mere fact of existence increases complexity. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there, there's a term called adulting, right? Adulting. Adulting. Yeah. I don't like it. Right. But you know what you have to do to get to adulting? You have to exist. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So, you know, complexity, the, the natural courses, the law of thermodynamics says entropy is always increasing. Heat is always increasing. Complexity is always increasing complexity needs to be managed, right? So we start off as we've got one salesperson, they do everything. Yeah. Right? We pick up more complexity. We can't, we can't sustain that complexity. The cost of managing that complexity gets, gets larger, right? Um, this is why you have no man's lands, right? There, there, there are places where, well, we're not big enough to really support the structure of, of a specialized or matrixed organization, Right. But we've got too much complexity for a traditional organization. Right. That's no man's land. You know, you're you're too big to be small. You're too complex to be simple, but you're too simple to be complex, right? Right. Too big to be small, too small to be big. And and and, and that's why 
you know, part of what you need to understand is, you know, where are your waypoints? And, and I can tell you that I've seen companies where like in professional services, a million dollars is a key number. I know a lot of professional services companies that get to two or $3 million. Mm -hmm. And, and at two to 3 million, they're making less money with 10 times the heartache that they were in a million. Cause, cause you can make a really good living as a million dollar professional services company. When you get to two to 3 million, all of a sudden you're like, those things don't support you quite as much. Right. And you can't, you, you, you need to bring in elements of management oversight. You need to bring in systems that increases your costs. Well, guess what? I mean, to some degree, if you're going to go, if you're going to go past one to 1.5 million, as an example in professional services, you better be shooting for 5 million. Yeah. Right. Or it's yeah. probably not worth it. Right. Right. And so understanding those things, it's, you know, you're always managing the, the, the issue of how much complexity are you managing? Now, I would say that the danger of saying, hey, I'm just going to stay at one to one point five, as an example, is you're still going to pick up complexity and the world is changing. You better pay attention to what are the underlying economics there. Sure. But that begins to get us in, in, into a whole nother place. So so once you begin to understand and define What's your sales model? What's your sales structure? What are the key metrics that you're using to follow this? Now, all of a sudden, you know, the things that you're going to do if you're in a traditional structure are, you know, the decision calculus is very different than if you're in a specialized calculus or specialized structure versus right. a matrix, you know, and like all of those things are, are you know, they need to be managed. And, and this is where going back to our episode on zones of execution, this is where zones of execution become so critical. Sure. I see people address sales structure. They realize, okay, we've got the wrong sales structure. We're reorganizing the sales team. Right. We're bringing everybody in. We're putting everybody in the field. We're, you know, my favorite, you know, used to be at one time is we're giving all the salespeople blackberries. We're taking all the technology away. Um, we're, we're, we're getting a new CRM. Yeah. Right. Well, the new CRM not going to change. Like, if you've got a structural problem, you might need a that, new CRM to enable. I, but, I thought that was the answer to everybody's problems. Yeah, it's yeah. not like a magic wand that just does everything for you. And 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 so <laughs> this is why this is a zone three and major zone two issue. You've got to know where you're going. What is the company that you're going to be? If you're not growing, you're dying. Right. Right. And, 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 and growing again means growing in capabilities. It does not necessarily mean growing in revenue. Sure. Right. For based upon that previous conversation, though, mo most often, and certainly I think most people listening to this are looking to grow revenue as well. Right. But there you like where to, to keep your sales structure robust and to not make your salespeople, to not make your contributors feel like they're always under the constant torque of change, the Damocles sword, Damocles sword of change. Yeah, that's a new one. Right? You know that's who Damocles is, right? No, I don't. Damocles is the one who had the sword hanging over him all the time. Ah. By a string. The fear that the sword is going to break from that. That's a heavy sword. It's going to, the string is going to break and it's going to stab me, right? Ah, right. gotcha. Yep. yep. Right. 
you know, it's somewhat counterintuitive to, to eliminate the feeling of always being under the torque of change. You have to be constantly changing. Yeah. Right. Um, I was sharing somebody this the other day. Did you, you may or may not know this. You used to be in the travel business like me. Did you know that a plane is off course more than 90% of its flight? I knew that because you've told me that before, but that's the only reason I, I don't think I ever knew that when I worked there. Yeah. But and, and, and when you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. Why do you, why do you need autopilot? Well, you need autopilot because what it's doing is you're, it's constantly making these just little, really small little changes to get you, you know, to get where you need to go. The wind's shifting, all those things are happening, right? And so you're constantly on there. You have to know where you're going. And, and, and your sales structure is more than one acceleration cycle, more than one play away. So, so where are we going? How are we operationalizing this? How are we staging this? How are we incrementing improvement? What are we testing so that our, our performance zone can perform? And this is especially important in small companies because oftentimes it's the performance people that are responsible for change. And so they're doing these big, huge change things at the same time they're supposed to be performing. And so they just do a shitty job at both, right? So, so even, in, even if you just, this is what I always say. If you don't know the answer, guess. But don't just guess, guess with conviction, right? And, and what that means is do it and watch. And by the way, yeah. if you do know, if you do know the answer, do you know what that is? That is guessing with conviction. Because no one knows the answer, A. And, and if you did know the answer, well, the answer is different tomorrow. Yeah. Right. And, well, and, and by the way, that's sometimes the, the biggest danger is your model, your structure is dialed in. You get complacent. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you start doing efficiency and you start doing financial engineering and you start, I mean, why is net revenue retention and this is, this is the skeptic's view. Why is net revenue retention become the hot, hot topic? There's enough legitimacy in it that it helps hide customer churn, customer retention. And, and, and why is that? Well, because in the first three years of a funded company's life, they probably don't have much of a churn problem. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so their churn numbers look great. But then they hit a place where, okay, churn begins to happen. Already. And, and, and again, I want to emphasize net revenue retention. There's, it's, there's validity there, right? It's why I always like to look at one, one of the measurements I look at for a company that wants growth is, is your top quintile growing at a higher rate than your company's growing? Yeah. Are my, are my biggest, best growing at a faster rate? That's always fascinating to me when we, when we do that. Mm -hmm. that that piece of the analysis is, is how is the top quintile because it's and then it's if it's oftentimes horrifying to, <laughs> to look at but i mean it's a great it's a great uh indicator right and 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 another great indicator to use is what's the average of your top quintile yep what's the growth rate of the average top quintile that should be growing at a higher rate if sure. if margin expansion is something that you're looking for yeah um, I want to take the, the guess and listen one step further, though. I think it's not just guess and listen. I think it's guess and test. You know, you're, you, you're making a guess. You're making a hypothesis. A hypothesis. You've got to test that. And, and so it's not just about listening to it. It's about testing and seeing how that how that's 
performing. Yeah. Yes, though, though I want to emphasize the test, I mean, the, the guess with conviction, because mm -hmm. what I see, it, 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 it's really funny. I see people that, that are very timid on the big, like the structural idea. Oh, sure. Yeah. They're very, they're very certain on the tactic. And, you know, I like to say, you know, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. I'm, I'm better not having doubt on the, on the bigger thing. And, and, and testing the smaller thing with the realization that I understand I'm wrong on everything. Right. Right. And so I'm triangulating, triangulating my way to, to that right place. But what I, my point is don't let the lack of knowledge say, this is the structure that I think we need to move to. What do we need to do to begin to get there, run your tests and then, you know, follow the plot. Sure. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> I told you it was um, going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. No. So my, my big takeaways are know the game you're playing. And by the way, that is increasingly becoming a theme on this podcast. Know, know the game. Um, I am forever going to refer to RevOps as the guardians of the game from here on out. I love that. And, um, you know, I think making sure that you're determining your economic model and letting that drive your sales structure and your sales model is, is crucial. So those are, those are my big, my big takeaways. Well, there you go. Thanks everybody. Me want cookie. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait Until for it. Time, yes. <laughs> Wait, Doug. And that's a wrap on this episode of the RevOps show. RevOps is the guardian of the game and above all else, you should figure out what game it is you're playing so you know how to structure what you're doing. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about sales structures or anything RevOps related, or if you're wanting to put in a submission to win a vest, email me at hannah at imaginellc.com or hit us up on Twitter at demandcreator. Until next time, remember, you can't solve your upstream problems downstream.